This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving. Bible study, book of Proverbs. We're continuing our study on the subject of wisdom. And if I remember correctly, in the Hebrew Bible, well, it's, it's actually included under the poetical books, but in the way we classify the various books of the Bible, which you know, there's a number of different ways to do that, this is considered one of the books of wisdom. One of the books of wisdom, and so it's here, it's been preserved for us, it's been recorded for us, and a lot of this, there's something about wisdom that has this effect of kind of ringing a bell in your mind when you hear something uh, that is actually wise. And, it, and we have described this as, described the sensation before as being something like recognizing a teaching as something that you've always known, but maybe you had just never consciously ever articulated it before. And so it rings true in your mind. And we began to get into some of that uh, last week, a little bit the week before. Now, last week's, last week's teaching, we spent almost, I think, entirely on the theme of trusting in the Lord with all your heart, not leaning to your own understanding, acknowledging Him, in all of your ways. And then tying right into that was the very next paragraph that came after that in verse 7, which was, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And we talked a lot about that. And, well, why so much? Why so much that? Or Because maybe it's a, maybe it's a no-brainer. Well, of course we should fear the Lord. But what about this, be not wise in, what about what he says here, be not wise in thine own eyes? Well, is it wrong to recognize if I'm being wise? Well, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying don't be wise in your own eyes and, and in your own understanding. And there's a deeper truth that's hidden in there about the nature of any kind of virtue that a Christian becomes aware that they possess. When a Christian, especially one that, well, all Christians come out of sin, okay? But especially one that perhaps, you know, lived a long time in the enemy's camp, was a sinner for a long time, and then has come to the knowledge of the truth. And, and now God is working in their life, and they're growing in God, and they're a spiritual creature now. They've got newness of life. And the Lord is working in them and is bringing about good fruit. Now, this. This ties into some recent messages concerning abiding in the vine and how Christ bears us and we bear fruit unto the Lord. And when that happens and we discover, when we discover that we have developed a virtue that we'd never had before, something happens in the mind. That kind of self-awareness can be dangerous. It can be dangerous, and the reason it can be dangerous is because that can awaken a sense of pride in the believer. It can awaken a sense of pride that, oh, well, check this out. I'm actually, I'm being virtuous. And so then that, that knowledge, that awareness of 
the, the development of a virtue within the believer's mind or within the believer's heart, life, however you want to describe it, it can awaken a sense of pride in there. And then that's something that the devil jumps on immediately, especially when a believer becomes cognizant of the virtue of humility in their life. Maybe, now I don't know what you were like in your old life, and I don't try to dig into people's pasts. The old man's dead. Praise God, let him stay dead. Let, let the old you remain dead. But maybe, perhaps in your old life, you were a proud individual. We're in Proverbs chapter 3 tonight. Roundabout verse 7 is where we're picking it up. Proverbs 3 verse 7. Maybe you were a proud person. Maybe you're someone who was proud of his looks or proud of his smarts or his cleverness or his abilities or his skills or something like that. And then having sense come to the Lord, you've developed a deep and abiding sense of humility. Praise God for that because God can work with that. He really can. Humility is one of the finest and the highest virtues that a Christian can possess. Really. Really. Because it is the absolute opposite of pride. And pride was the first sin and it destroyed Lucifer. We understand that historically anyway, that it was the first sin. It destroyed Lucifer, made him into the devil and so on. And then all of the problems that we have today as, as an indirect result of that. But so now a once proud person has become a believer. Now they are humble, but they haven't necessarily thought of themselves like that. In fact, they haven't thought much of themselves at all until one day they're praying and then it strikes them. It enters into their mind well, how about this? I'm actually being humble. How about that? I'm humble. And then immediately there's a sense of satisfaction, not necessarily wrong, not necessarily bad, but it opens up a door to a sense of self-satisfaction. And then that opens up a door to a sense of pride. I'm being humble, don't you know? Look at me. I'm more spiritual than I used to be. I wonder if I'm more spiritual than so-and-so on the other end of the pew. And that's something that the Christian has to really guard against. And not just pride, not just humility, but when once we become aware of a virtue that God has helped to bring about or has brought about in our life, what through circumstances or whatever tools that he decided to use, when once we become aware that we possess a virtue, we have to remember not to get lifted up by it. Not to get lifted up by it. Because, and that's something, let me tell you something. Now that's a battle that every believer faces. But it is a battle in particular that ministers and their wives face. Because they have received training and advanced teaching and all of that. And a lot of times they receive a title when they're appointed somewhere. And, and then those things can start getting into the, those things can get into a person's head. Now we're not big, we're not big and long on titles around here. I think there's only a couple of them around. And one of them's pastor and the other one's reverend. And all those are is just something that helps denote what a person is in their labor for the Lord. And, and really, that's about as far as it goes. And nobody around here goes by the title of Holy Father or anything like that. We don't go there. Jesus said you have one Father and He is in heaven. So we're not really long on that sort of thing. and we're not, really, we're, not, we're not lifted up in anything like that at all. But the point is humility with respect to virtues. He says here, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. When a person is wise, that's good. But when a person becomes aware that they are wise, that's dangerous. And you have to remind yourself immediately, I am a 
fool in comparison to God. And, and this ties back, this isn't even something that's exclusive to Christianity, okay? But the, the way of Christ surfaces this, it brings us to the surface and teaches us. It's a very good thing. But even philosophers of ancient Greek recognized this, that... Uh, I don't remember precisely how he phrased it, but it was something along the lines of, you know, the first step on the road to wisdom is realizing that you know nothing. And really, we don't. And I don't know what the average, what the median age is among the believers here in our church, but we've got a few that are pretty old and we've got a few that are pretty young. Even the eldest of us, upwards in our 70s, pushing 80. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Grandpa Reyes right now, uh, just by way of example of that. We've got others as well, even the oldest of us. And none of us have even been around 100 years yet, have we? What kind of wisdom do we really have? In comparison to God who is eternal without beginning of days, without end of life, we have very, very little. And so let your constant companion in the learning of wisdom and in the practice of wisdom, let your constant companion be humility. Let it be humility. Because the moment that we forget to be humble and we start getting to think that we're wise, that's when we're, we start feeling that we're wise in our own eyes. The moment that we cross that line into really thinking that we're something and we're smart and we know something, and then we start to feel exalted on the inside. And we have Jesus' warning concerning that. Everyone who exalts himself will be abased, but whosoever uh, humbles himself before the Lord will be exalted. The moment we cross that line into thinking that we're really something in God and we start getting proud, then we step into the devil's own trap. And I don't mean it's the trap necessarily that he set, although he does that. I mean it's the trap that he himself stepped into. Because the person that thinks that they're wise in their own eyes, the person that's self-sufficient, the person that thinks that they're all that in a bag of chips, as the phrase goes, is a person who has ceased to understand that he needs God every day of his life. Humility. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Solomon told his son here in this chapter 3, verse 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And then he goes on to say, It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. It's a more poetic phrase than we're used to using in the English language, but it basically means it's good for you. And we talked about that two weeks ago. It's good for you. It'll be health to your navel, marrow to your bones. And then we talked about verses 9 and 10, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine, with new wine. And we talked about that and, and we even offered it as a challenge. We dare you, we actually dare you to do this and watch how the Lord will open up the windows of heaven and bless your life and increase you. Now there are those that have taken that doctrine and they have ballooned that beyond all proportion and that's sort of become uh, what some or has fed into what's called a word of faith doctrine which uh, which takes a couple things out of out of their context in scripture and makes it sort of the be all end all of Christianity that's not what we're trying to do but he makes it clear that when we honor the lord with what we have and with the first fruit of all of our increase he will continue to increase us now, this lends itself naturally to a teaching on tithes and offerings, but that's not where we're going tonight as far as a teaching, though we should tithe. We should tithe to the church that we attend. It makes sense. Nobody goes to Burger King and then goes over to McDonald's and pays them the bill. 
Whatever church we attend and we're a part of is where we ought to be putting our financial support as is pleasing unto the Lord. This lends itself to that, but we want to move on into verse 11, okay? My son, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. This is wisdom right here. As we've had a lot of lead up to wisdom in chapters 1 and 2, and beginning in this chapter, we really start getting into some actual wisdom. He advises his son by extension. We are advised by the Holy Ghost. Despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. Now that's good advice. Really, we ought to take that as a commandment. That's good counsel right there. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. Well, it's because why does he bother saying that? Because no flesh likes to be rebuked, does it? Nobody loves to be chastened. Nobody enjoys being corrected. When you were growing up and a child in your father's house and you did something wrong and either mom got on you or dad got on you. One of them swatted you, the other one jacked you up. Maybe they both tag teamed you. I don't know how they did discipline in your house. But I know that in at least one or two of the houses that the folks grew up in around here, there was a chancla. And it could fly around corners, couldn't it? According to every report I've ever heard. And I grew up in a Midwest white American family. We didn't have chanclas. We had wooden spoons. My mother used the wooden spoon. And I'll tell you what, it was pretty effective. It got your attention every time. But he says here, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Not that I'm trying to put those two on exactly the same level, okay? Because a lot of times when parents correct and discipline their children, many times they do it out of anger. Not all the time, but a lot of times they do, especially in non-Christian households. They correct and chasten out of anger. But he advises his son, and we are advised here in the Word, not to despise the chastening of the Lord and not to become weary of His correction. Now, you may get frustrated. You may get frustrated with yourself because of perhaps a shortcoming or, man, I can't believe it, I did the same wrong thing again. But don't despise the Lord's chastening. Don't despise the Lord's correction. Well, why? Well, you have to remember why God does it. He doesn't do it always with the same flawed motivation that our natural mothers and fathers here on the earth may have had when they were correcting us. Even, and even then, the motivation was right. It's just the methodology that was wrong sometimes, okay? The Lord corrects us because, one, He is a Father to us. And this is a relationship I cannot overemphasize. And it's what sets us apart as believers. It's what sets us apart from every other belief system or religion in the world. They do not have father and child relationships with their false gods. They don't have that privilege. They don't have that honor, if we want, if we want to call it that. They don't have that blessing. It is, at best, it comes down to a, you will be in subjection to this God who will judge you type of a relationship. And it's rarely ever anything better than that. But in the way of Christ and in the way of wisdom, which goes right in with the way of Jesus, okay? It's why it's preserved in His Word. We are children of our Father. And if He is our Father, and if He is love, which the Scripture says that He is, if He is that, then He's going to correct us because He wants us to be what He has designed and made us to be. 
It is because he is trying to keep us out of the traps of the enemy. I mean, why else is he likened unto, why else is he called the chief shepherd? Why is he likened unto a shepherd? He's likened unto a lot of things, a shepherd, a potter, uh, uh, the master builder, all these different things. But as a shepherd looking after his sheep, so is our heavenly father towards us, trying to keep us out of the way of danger, spiritual danger, spiritual destruction. And that's what this whole, at least this whole front portion of the book of Proverbs is oriented towards the blessings of wisdom in the life of the believer is that it keeps you out of harm's way. Now let me just throw something out here, okay, just by way of, a, of an example. This might sound extreme, but I'll take the risk of putting this out there and opening myself up to scrutiny. So my wife and I got here because we usually open up the church on Tuesday nights. And so we got here and I realized I forgot something at the house that we kind of needed. And so, okay, well, it's almost time to open. Babe, I said to my wife, can you go back to the house and get this? And on her way out, she asked, okay, now, do you want me to unlock the door or leave the door unlocked on my way out? Because she knew I was going to be here alone. I said, go ahead and unlock it because we need to open it at... at at 30 minutes till because that's our policy. It's just a good operating policy. I said, go ahead and unlock it because I also knew that she was going to be right back. So why are we bringing this up? Well, because if it was going to be any longer than that, I would have told her, leave the door locked. Leave the door locked. Why? Because I'm here by myself. Well, why is that a big deal? Do I think someone's going to come in and get me? No, but the devil is the accuser of the brethren, isn't he? That's one of his jobs and one of his job titles. I'm not giving him any glory for that. It's just one thing he does because he's a rotten, evil monster. And he wants to destroy people. And if he can't destroy them spiritually, he'll try to destroy their, their reputation or something like that. When you're alone in a place, brother or sister, this goes to both sides of the gender fence. Be wise. Lock doors when you're alone. So that Someone can't come along and then go their way and level a false accusation against you. And I'll give another quick example on that. Not my own. It's another person's example. Was it Billy Graham? Passed away not too long ago. Passed away. He said decades ago, he said, that he would never allow himself to be alone in a room with another woman, unless his wife was with him. Well, why was that? Well, we'll answer that question with this question. That man had a ministry. Now, whatever it was, whatever all it was that he believed, whatever denomination he was a part of, all of that is secondary and further down the line. That really isn't about any of this. Okay? He was never, ever caught up in any kind of a sexual scandal. And he was a very high-profile, very well-known minister. He counseled presidents. I'm not sitting here exalting him and, and blowing his horn or anything like that. It's a lesson in wisdom. He had made that one statement of one thing that he was never going to do. Well, how could he counsel then? Well, you know, I'm sure he would have his wife with him, whatever. It's a lesson in wisdom and how it preserves your path and it keeps your way and it keeps you out of all kinds of trouble. 
the value of wisdom. There's reasons why Solomon used the language in chapters 1 and 2. And, and, in, and even uh, again here, in uh, beginning in verse 13 in chapter 3, there's reasons why Solomon describes wisdom as being more valuable than rubies and to be sought after like silver and to it being worth more than anything else in life. Wisdom. Let me put it in the vernacular. It will save your bacon. It really will. It'll keep you out of some bad situations just by being wise. And if we may just go back a couple of verses, acknowledging God in all your ways and letting Him direct your paths. Wisdom. All right, let's move on. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. Why? Well, because it's intended to correct us and to keep us on the right path and to protect us from certain kinds of harm. And then he says in verse 12, for whom the Lord loves, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Well, there's that relationship that we have with him right there. Again, it's a father, it's a good father towards his son. You have to specify that. Not all fathers are good. He is. Verse 13, happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Do we begin to understand the value of real godly wisdom? He said, all the things. I, I kind of chuckled to myself when I saw that phrase because that's kind of an internet meme, all the things. Okay, it's an older one, but it's still out there, I think. All the things thou canst desire are not even to be compared. Everything you could possibly want in this life is not even to be compared to the value of wisdom. All right, let's move on. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. And this is sort of a repeat of what he... I won't say a complete repeat, but it's, it's sort of a repeat of what he was saying over in, in chapter 2. But he reiterates it here because things may be entry level, but they are beneficial to be reinforced often sometimes. Because sometimes it's the simplest things that we're prone to forget. Not always, but sometimes. Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, and understanding by understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. Now, let's move on to the next paragraph. He says, My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Now, that's, there's that word coming up again, discretion. We've talked about that before over in chapter 2. About uh, when wisdom enters into your heart and knowledge is pleasant unto your soul. You remember that? That was our springboard verse for this entire series of, of studies on the subject of wisdom. When wisdom enters into your heart, knowledge is present unto your soul. What did he say? Discretion will keep thee. Discretion, that ties into those two examples we just used a few minutes ago about um, lock a door behind you when you're in some place by yourself, okay? So that you don't open yourself up to, a, to being in a compromising position. That's called discretion. 
Now, that's not the only thing that's called discretion, but that's an example of discretion. Keeping your words. Ooh. Discretion and speech. Those are two things that go together like peanut butter and jelly, don't they? Because indiscreet people don't control their mouths. They don't control the things that they say. We, uh, nowadays, you hear people jokingly refer to people like that as having no filter. You've heard of that before? Like somebody with Tourette's or something. Well, Tourette's is more of a muscle twitch. It's not really what people think it is. It doesn't have anything to do with speech so much, or not much to do with speech. But people who have no filter means that they have no discretion. There's no discretion at work in their mind and their thought processes. So whatever comes into their head, it's just like, batter up! And it comes out, no matter how much damage it does. I call that cannon mouth. Some people, they're great people to be around, but they got cannon mouth. And they just say things. They open up their mouth and cannonballs come out and just wreck everything. That is a lack of discretion. That is a lack of discretion. And let me tell you something. That is not a virtue. That is a liability. It will hurt people. And, and then it takes a lot of effort to try to fix things again. What does the Bible even tell us? I think elsewhere even in this book, he says that a, a brother offended is harder to be won. I'm really paraphrasing it, but a brother that's been offended is harder to be won than, uh, I think, a city or something like that. And so discretion, he says, keep sound wisdom here in verse 21, and discretion. Be discreet in your actions and discreet in your language and discreet in the things that require it. So shall, thy, so shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then thou shalt walk in thy way safely. There we are again. The value of wisdom, the value of discretion will keep you safe from a lot of problems. It'll keep you safe from a lot of problems. And he continues in that verse, and thy foot shall not stumble. Now, look at politics for a second. That entire arena is filled with indiscretions that always seem to come up after the fact. Tucker Carlson's under a lot of heat. I, I look at the Drudge Report. I get a lot of my news from there. Maybe that makes me a right-wing nut job. I don't really care. All right, I try to stay balanced and biblical in my politics, okay? But Tucker Carlson, I guess some things that he said like a decade ago have resurfaced, some indiscreet sayings that he said that were taken and wrenched out of conflict or out of context and all of that. And now they're beating him over the head with it, but he's not... He's not really knuckling under to their pressure. And so whatever, for whatever that's worth. These are examples of when people's lack of discretion causes them to stumble. When you say something and you think that nobody noticed, but then five years later, you're trying to accomplish something in your life. And then that one thing that you did way back then, or that you said at, at, a, at a gathering or at a fellowship or at some place or at work or whatever, it comes back and it just starts, it threatens to lay waste to your entire reputation as a believer. Wisdom and discretion. The sooner we embrace it as believers, individual believers, the sooner that a believer embraces it and begins practicing it, then the sooner all of the indiscretions of one's youth and one's days as an unbeliever get behind you and buried in your past, which prayerfully they'll stay there, okay? But we have to start at some point if we have not already. I believe, I believe that folks have, but let's move on. He says, then shalt thou, 
Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Why? Because you don't have any fears. You're not wondering about what you said to somebody at that party, which we shouldn't have been at, depending on what the party was, or what the occasion was, or whatever. You don't have to worry about your past coming back to haunt you. Verse 25. Be not, afraid of sudden, of, be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and he shall keep thy foot from being taken. This is the protection of the Lord in the context of wisdom that we're talking about here. And I want to take this phrase and park on this, maybe even for the remainder of tonight's study. And we'll pick it up next week. Be at the will of the Lord. Verse 26, he says, For the Lord shall be thy confidence. Meditate on that. The Lord shall be thy confidence. Well, as opposed to what? Well, people have confidence and they place their confidence in many, many things. They place their confidence in their money. And so they have no fears, they have no anxiety in life because they think that their money is going to protect them from anything that could come up against them. And it does to a point. The Bible even says that, that money answereth all things. Also, Solomon said that, okay? Money answers all things, but there's a point where it stops answering all things, usually on a person's deathbed or when it just plain runs out. So people have their confidence in their money or they have their confidence in their business savvy or they have their confidence in their skill set with respect to the trade that they work and the way that they make their living. I'm not worried about anything. I can always get a a job. Don't you know I'm a union man? I work for the union. I'll always have work. Okay, so they have their confidence in their union. Some people have their confidence in their intellect. Some people, particularly women, but not only women, a lot of men also, their confidence is in their looks. It's in their looks. And they place all their confidence in their looks. And it works well for them when they're teenagers. And it works well for them when they're in their 20s. And it works well for them uh, most of the way through their 30s. And then they start to get into their 40s and it's not working a whole lot. And then they're having to put a whole lot more work into that to try to make up for it. In, uh, in certain circles, that sort of thing is referred to as hitting the wall. It's when a woman crosses the line from being marketable in terms of finding a mate to being, I don't know any other way to put it, old. Old. Now, if they're already married, who cares? You got your man and he loves you. And he'll love you with all your wrinkles. And he'll love you with your gray hair. He'll love you no matter what. If he's a godly man, a lot of times even ungodly men, but definitely if he's a godly man, he's going to love you no matter what. You can lose an arm in an accident. And he's, <laughs> where did that come from? I was, I was thinking of a surfer that lost an arm in a, in, a, in a shark attack. No kidding. And that just popped into my mind. But, you know, but when you place your confidence in all of that, your confidence is misplaced. Why is it misplaced? Well, first of all, God wants to be your confidence. And this is why a lot of women give themselves over to a lot of, they give themselves over to a lot of different vain behaviors from the wearing of makeup to the piercing of ears and the wearing of a, of, of, you know, a bunch of jewelry and you know, so many rings on their hands that it weighs 
five pounds more than it did before. And, and all these different things. And in a lot of the clothing that they actually wear. It's all because they are placing their confidence. They're placing their confidence in the wrong thing. A godly woman and a godly man. Their confidence is in the Lord. That's wisdom. Because looks fade. And even when looks haven't faded, so well, that's a lot of years off for me. I'm not really worried about that. You know, I'm still looking good now. Okay, well, you're looking good now. Maybe so. But then what's that? Is that humility? Is, is that humility? When you're looking in the mirror, like I was looking in the mirror when I was in third grade and I was talking about how good I thought I looked when I had my hair powdered down the middle and I looked like an absolute doofus is what it looked like, but I thought I looked good. Okay, well, is that humility? Is that the Spirit? Is that having my confidence in God? And so women fall into this trap. Men fall into this trap. I saw a headline the other day that cosmetics for men is now mainstream. I was about horrified. I only knew one person in my life that wasn't like in some weird subculture. One guy in my life that actually wore like eyeshadow or something like that. And when I found out that he did... I was disgusted. I'm sorry. I just was. It's like, dude, that ain't right. That is so many different kinds of wrong. You're a man. You know, not that it's right for a woman either or ideal for a woman either, but it's just, it's not, where's your confidence? He says, for the Lord shall be thy confidence and he shall keep thy foot from being taken. The Lord shall be thy confidence. That means, what does that mean? When the Lord is my confidence. That means that all of your confidence, all of your worth, all of your self-worth, all of your, all your eggs are safe in that basket. That's what that means. When your confidence is in the Lord, then you don't have to worry about all the other things that I want to say the Gentiles, right? We're all Gentiles in here too. We're, we're, we're Gentiles built on a, what was it Pastor Davis used to say? I'm a Jew built on a Gentile chassis, okay? All those outside the faith, you don't have to worry about, what this, about the same things that they spend thousands on trying to hold on to things that they just cannot hold on to. Let your confidence, believer, Child of God, brother, sister in Christ, let your confidence, let your confidence be in the Lord in all things. There's wisdom. There's wisdom. It'll keep your way safe. It'll save you money for one thing. It'll save you a lot of fuss and a lot of effort. But what are you saying? I should just let myself go? No, of course not. You take care of yourself. You have a measure of self-respect as a child of the king. But we're not given over to those vanities that so dominate the lives and the thinking and the priorities and the self-esteem of so many others. We don't do that anymore. We don't need to do that anymore. Thank you, Jesus. It's such a relief. We'll pick it up. Be at the will of the Lord. We'll pick it up next week. Now, next week, let me give you a sneak preview, okay? Verse 27. Withhold not good from them to who it is due. This is our studies in wisdom, okay? Withhold not good from them to who it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do so. So we're going to get real practical next week. Again, be at the will of the Lord unless he really wants us to go back into Matthew. I think we're going to be right back here next week. Uh, 
it's going to get into very practical wisdom here. And he even says in verse 28, Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. Okay? So, this is good stuff. This is the stuff of life. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.